You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. You turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we will, Lord willing, finish up our series in the book of 2 Peter tonight. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 11 in just a moment. And uh, I don't know what the fact we're here tonight, what that says about us. A couple, of, a couple of options that I'm throwing around in my brain. One would be that we have amazing immune systems. We could go with that narrative. Or we have no social life. And so we were like the, the isolated ones. Uh, either our family gatherings got canceled or we just kind of were at home. And so I'll let you interpret that however you want. But to my social life is very robust, okay, just for the record. So I have lots of standing engagements. And anyway, all right, Second Peter chapter 3 tonight. Let's look at verse 11 and following tonight. And do pray for many that are out under the weather this week. I just, I'll say this, and I'm sure I'll reiterate it through the winter. Our thinking at this point is we're going to have church, and if you're sick, stay home. If you're able to be here, be here. Uh, otherwise, we might as well just close up till I don't know, May. Uh, so that's kind of our thinking at this point. And if you have to watch from home, we'll try to make that as available as we can. But appreciate your faithfulness and to pray for those who would long to be here that cannot be here tonight. All right, Second Peter chapter 3, let's look at verse 11. Just by way of reminder, we've been looking at the foundation that we find only in God's Word. So First Peter uh, was dealing with soft skills, was how we titled that series, kind of the relational, interpersonal uh, skills, tenderness, gentleness uh, that Jesus calls us to as being foreigners in this present world. Now he shifts, we're still the foreigners or the exiles, but we are grounded. And so we've been looking at solidifying truths in the book of Second Peter, and we'll look at the last one tonight. Let's look at verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Seeing then, Peter says, that all these things should be dissolved, what manner of person <laughs> ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, we who are not of this world, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found uh, of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in his epistles. This is interesting, as Peter is now quoting from Paul, as also in, his, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, notice that unstable, rest as they uh, do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, Beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Verse 18, one of my favorite verses in the book of 2 Peter, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And so I want to look at lastly tonight this, having solid poise. The word is poise that allows us to finish well, to stand for the Lord until uh, he comes for us. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. <laughs> Lord, Thank you today for your grace and your goodness. 
Thank you for um, helping us, uh, Lord, navigate uh, voids and folks that have been out. I pray you would encourage them this evening, as many of them face different challenges this week, health-wise, relation-wise, schedule-wise. I pray that you would just minister to them, encourage them, and help them, Lord, to know that we're praying for them and available to help in any way that we can. Thank you for these that are here tonight. I pray that you'd help me to be a good steward with their their attendance and their investment of time tonight to teach your word, to preach your word in a way that would position us to live out our days until you send for us or come for us uh, with poise. Uh, Lord, help us not to be found lying down or giving up. Help us to be found standing. And uh, Lord, (laughs) we need your truth and your word to help us in that again tonight. Bless this study, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There is in ancient uh, Egyptian mythology a story that we often use in our modern vernacular called the Rise of the Phoenix. I don't know if you've heard of that, Phoenix. Um, In in Egyptian mythology, um, there is the teaching or the belief. um, There's supposedly a bird that possesses this beautiful gold and red uh, plumage, which would be where the um, kind of the fire bird analogy comes from. And the myth would say this, that when the phoenix grows old and senses that it's not long for this earth, uh, the putting off of its body would be soon, that it would build a nest out of cinnamon twigs. After being ignited by the flame, the nest and the bird would burn fiercely until each was reduced to ashes. At that moment, according to the myth, all, all appears to be lost. The majestic bird has fallen from the sky forever, never to fly again. But then, according to this myth, suddenly a young phoenix rises from the ashes and returns by wing to the skies, where it will live to fly high overhead once more. The idea is the phoenix coming out of the ashes. Um, Now, that is a myth, but I think we see here kind of that vibe in 2 Peter, because Peter had really, from a human perspective, he had failed, right, miserably. He had denied the Lord, Um, he had stumbled and fallen, he goes fishing, Um, and then Christ restores him, and we see out of the the ashes this beautiful calling, and who was it that preached on the day of Pentecost? It was Peter, the swearing sailor that now is the great evangelist and the apostle, and so Peter had experienced (laughs) this idea of the phoenix coming out of um, the ashes, and I think that's what you see as a summary uh, of 2 Peter as a whole is that he's denied the Lord, and then in Luke 22, as we know, Christ begins to pray for Peter that his faith will not fail. And the end of John, as we began studying uh, the book of John, at the very end of John, you see Christ restoring Peter. And one of the things that he admonishes him and prays for him is that when he is restored, that he will do what to the brethren? He will strengthen the brethren. What's fascinating to me, I think I said this when we began this study in 2 Peter, it's very likely that that had an immediate impact or application that Peter would strengthen the other disciples. But I think every night that we've met to study 2 Peter, he's doing it again, anew and afresh, as Peter is strengthening us. Uh, And so I hope that you'll let what Peter's about to give us in these last few verses, some fortification, if you will, some nutrition for uh, your soul and your your stance for the Lord that we might finish well uh, for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And so Peter here is striving to strengthen Uh, the believer. And so he really lands, just again, as introduction. Notice the end of verse 17, it uses the word steadfastness. If you were to go back to chapter 1 and verse 12, Peter says, I'm trying to stir you up. 
of, <laughs> to remembrance and to stability in the faith. And so we see Peter here landing where he has taken off at the beginning, right back on this same word of steadfastness. Now, I may give you a thought tonight that I think sets the table for our study. When I use the word poise, what do you think of? Like, <laughs> what do you think of when you hear the word poise? I don't know if that's a word that you use in speaking realms, you know, keep your poise. You know, if you, if you say something wrong, if something falls apart in the room, you keep your poise. You don't laugh. You don't, you don't lose that. You don't break that connection with the audience. But the word poise just has this idea, graceful and elegant bearing in person. So there's an elegance, there's a, we carry ourselves in a certain way. And I don't know about you, brethren, but when I read some of the accounts of saints of old, they possessed a little more of that than we have in our day. We're, we're pushovers, we're, we're unsteady, we, don't, we can't just stand uh, faithfully for the Lord as consistently as maybe in days gone by that we did. And so how do we get back this elegance um, to our faith, this poise it really is lost in a day of clumsy. Don't we live in a day of clumsy Christianity? Some of the things that Christians say that I, I interact with, you just, man, that, that just, that's not faith-filled. That's not, that's not in the Word of God. Um, clumsy Christianity, how do we in contrast, not in arrogance, but in a, a sincerity, how do we stand uh, with poise? Let's talk about two diligent commitments that I think can help us grow in this idea of having solidness, having poise in a world that's falling apart around us. <laughs> Number one, let's spend a few minutes talking, first of all, about diligence uh, in the area of our vision. Number one, having a diligent vision. Diligent vision. Twice in these last couple of verses, Peter uses the word beloved. Do you remember me referencing that, those of you that were here a few weeks ago? In verse one, he says, beloved. If you go down to verse 8, he addresses them as beloved. And now we find the final two of these, these direct addresses, if you will. In verse 14, let's begin with the first one. He says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things. And so the first thing that we need to have greater diligence in is in our vision, what we're looking at. I don't know if your New Year's resolution has anything to do with what you see when you look in the mirror. Um, the other day, someone tongue-in-cheek sent this to me. They said, I guess this was on New Year's Day, my New Year's resolution is to help all my friends gain 10 pounds so that I look skinnier. <laughs> that's that's the, probably the less than diligent vision or mission for life, just trying to deflect atten- attention and not have to be diligent. Uh, the word see and the word look occur five times in just these four verses we're about to look at. See, look. See, look. One of the things I think I see in our day of why we lack poise is because there's a lack of clarity. Have you noticed there's a lot of things that are eyeballs and just our heart energy and emotional energy we can give ourselves? It's just there's so much. I, I have things in the morning I refuse to do until I get in the Bible. Do you have those things that you just... There's the, the TV and there's the, the internet and there's other books and just task for the day, not even bad stuff. We have to really focus our vision if we're going to have this poise uh, that we see in saints of old and we long for in our day. All right, let's talk about a couple of things as it relates to our diligence and vision. So if we're going to have poise, we have to be committed to having diligent vision. Number one, jot this down. Look with hope at a transformed future. So the first thing we have to be diligent in looking at is we must look with hope 
at a transformed future. I said this a few weeks ago, maybe this was last week, but when's the last time you with bated breath talk to another believer about what's just around the corner that God's revealed to us? I, I think we talk a lot about the present tense, don't we? The politics and the, you know, the sickness and, and the trends and things and what everything that's going on. But we don't spend a lot of time focusing on and pointing others to the future that God has told us to focus upon. We'll come back to verse 11. <laughs> let's go to verse 12 and let's look at one of the references where it says we're to look. Look at verse 12. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God... And this is transformative, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements, the things that our world is made of, shall melt with fervent heat. Look with hope at a transformed future. All right, what are a couple things under that that are true of the future as it relates to transformation? Number one, there is advancing hope. So there is, there is the, the advancing of, there's the promotion of hope that God has told us is a part of the future. Is this not true for the believer, at least in principle? I don't know if we really believe this practically, but the future is better than the present. Is that true? I, I know as a pastor, my job is to state the obvious, but why is it then we're not as hope-filled about the future as we should be? We've lost, we've forgotten that the future is going to change some things and it's always going to be an upgrade. God will take nothing from you now without replacing it with something better. Do you believe that? Including death itself. If we're not afraid of death, if we believe there's something better that really death even is the portal to, we're free, we're stable, we're grounded in a way that often uh, we see lacking even in our ranks as believers. And so this advancement of hope, and so we see this referenced um, this idea that we are to be faithful until the Lord comes, we're to look forward to it. Now, there's an interesting little phrase that I've read over for years and wondered what, what's behind that. Look at the middle of verse 12. He says, looking for, and then this word, hasting unto the coming of the day of God. And so we see this promotion or this advancement of uh, the coming of the Lord. The idea, <laughs> excuse me, here is that by us being faithful and living with diligent vision, we are actually, I, I can't totally explain this to you, but the language is clear here, we are speeding up the coming of the Lord. Now, does that mean we're changing the date on the calendar? I don't know that that's the spirit of it, but we are advancing. Our life today is a part of pushing forward and advancing what God is going to do. That totally changes the present tense then, that I am looking for and I'm hastening unto, I'm advancing, I'm promoting with my life, my piety and holiness that we'll talk about back in verse 11 in just a moment, that, that witnessing and praying and others hearing the gospel that God is not willing that any should not come to repentance as they're saved and as they receive Christ, I'm advancing this ultimate hope that is ours as believers. Uh, what a glorious calling. We believers, we are not uh, just to fill time. We're not just here to kill time. We're a part of God's plan that changes tonight, that changes tomorrow, that changes the here and now. It makes it sacred. It makes it significant. <laughs> one, one pastor that I follow regularly, he talked about the idea of waiting with productivity. Like waiting, but not just passively waiting. I'm waiting in a productive manner. 
doing God's word and hastening the coming of the Lord. What a glorious calling for us tonight. All right, look at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, here again is this idea of the future, look, there's the word again, for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Number two, so there's advancing hope. Number two, there is new hope. So our hope is one of advancement. Number two, our hope is one of newness, of newness. Here is the mindset of the secular person, and also I would submit, unfortunately, of the carnal believer. We're waiting for the world to end. And the mindset is very negative, and it's almost like, man, the curtain's about to fall and it's going to be all over. (laughs) Peter is saying here the exact opposite. Listen, guys, pay attention. The curtain's about to be pulled up. The veil is about to be removed. And everything that's just on the other side of that veil is about to appear. Prepare for that. Live in light of that. Focus upon that. And so there's hope in a new world. There's hope in a new provision of God. Live in light of that uh, in the present tense. Literally, in the blink of an eye, everything's going to be made new. I don't know which blink it's going to be. I've got allergies I'm battling, so my eyes are blinking all the time right now, okay? You guys have been giving me all kinds of remedies, and I've been trying everything. I'm like a human Petri dish right now, just trying out all this stuff. But anyway, just the idea is just in one blink, it's over. And I don't want to be flat-footed when that happens. I want to be ready for that. I need to be looking for and hastening toward uh, this newness that God, God has promised. This place we're about to step into is more glorious than any place you've ever set your foot on before. There's no place on earth that can compare, and the reason is because at the very end of verse 13, the main issue is we're not living in a place wherein dwelleth righteousness. Somebody, everything's going to be right. All the wrongs that irritate us and the shortcomings of our world and of others and even of ourselves, all of that is stripped away, and we have a new place, a promised land that God will restore to us. In many ways, verse 13 is describing a restoration of Eden, a place of perfection, a place of of holiness, a place where we have access to God and God has access to us. That is the place that we look forward to. Can you see it tonight? Does your life reflect that your focus is on that or do you catch yourself, your eyes are down, your eyes are horizontal, your eyes are on the things of this life instead of that which is to come? Just the other night, I think it was our one of our, <laughs> our Christmas services, one of our uh, widows in our church, elderly lady, was sitting all the way on the right, and I can't remember why, maybe I was, I was down there, but anyway, I was just watching her, her eyes were closed, and she was smiling, singing whatever song we were singing. And her husband's been gone now for a couple of years, and just to watch her, and I, she was smiling not because of what is, there's a lot about what is that I'm sure is a challenge for her, it's what is going to be the reunions, the release, the, the freedom from often the sorrow and loneliness that I'm sure plagues her existence. There's an anticipation in her heart. Is that in you? Just a question. We'll move to our second point here underneath of this first uh, main point tonight. That would be this. How is your hope trending? Only when it's increasing regularly can you and I finish our course with not only joy but consistency. Is your hope more today than it was yesterday? 
Um, I think if we're not careful, it's being depleted and eroded. How are you trending on the hope front? May you ask God to help you. May I ask God to help me increase in this area of hope. All right, number two, go back, if you will, to verse 11. (laughs) There's a second look that we must be diligent in. Go back to verse 11. Seeing then (coughs) that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and in godliness. All right, number two, jot this down. Look with sanctification at a purified future. I love this point. This is going to be a great, I think, help to us tonight. Look with sanctification at a purified future. Most of you that know me, some of you are newer to our church, but most of you know that details matter to me. And I can, I, I would admit, I probably would be clinically diagnosed with OCD. It just, it's, it's, it goes back to my grandmother. She would never drink coffee out of a black mug because she couldn't see if the bottom was clean. My dad, it's, it's in my dad too. It's just, I was just with him yesterday and I could give you recent examples. But anyway, it's a part of our family. Uh, a week ago today, <laughs> we went out for lunch with one of the newer families in our church and we sat down at the restaurant. There weren't very many open last Sunday and, uh, they put, there was a burger, or there was a sandwich and fries, and then they had a tub of ketchup there sitting on the edge of the keyboard edge of the plate. And I, I just, I just moved something on the plate, and that ketchup, while we're talking, this is a newer family. You ever gone out to eat with someone that you don't know real well, they don't know you real well? That's always when these things happen. And that thing of ketchup literally flipped off and just slid down my pants, like both legs, just ketchup all the way down. I just kept talking, and you know, I'm kind of fidgeting around, grabbed Heidi's napkin and my napkin, trying to, and it, I could just feel it. It was everywhere. Thankfully, my pants were black, so that, that kind of helped me out. I don't know if the dry cleaner will get out what was in them or not, but it was this idea, I got to stay focused, okay? These details matter to me. Um, the other day, uh, we have the house we're in, the insulation's not real good in the ceiling, and so the bathroom, especially when it gets cold, you get that cold and warm air and then moisture. So I was up in the attic, the older house, putting in insulation up above and, you know, just came out of there just, just nasty, grimy, you know, and, uh, and then I, I was able to wash away all of that. You ever been just itchy, dirty, you know, whether it's the pants or your skin from putting insulation or something similar to that, being able to be cleansed, um, why does God still have us waiting here? Why has he told us what he's going to do and yet he's waiting to follow through on it? I think if we're not careful, we only focus on the lost that's described earlier in 2 Peter 3 when it's also for us to get our act cleaned up, the sanctification thing. So here's my thought to you tonight. It's a gift of God that he's making us wait because it gives us more room to be set apart from the world unto himself. It's, it's a gift. It's an opportunity. And so Peter begins to talk <laughs> on this idea of looking with sanctification, focusing on that, because listen to me, the future is pure, and I'm not. Positionally, I am. Practically, I'm not. So it's, it's a gift that God gives us more time to prepare. All right, a couple things about that quickly. Number one, there's the idea of active sanctification, where we are actively engaged in it. And the word, excuse me, the word that's used back in verse 11, he says, seeing that you, you observe and you know all of what's about to happen, what manner of person ought ye to be in all, in all holy conversation? So there's this word conversation, manner of life. It's not just verbal, it's, it's who we are and what we're doing. And so we're active 
uh, in this area of sanctification. All right, and then notice the two words that are used. I don't know if I gave you these subpoints or not, but first the word holiness. How do we actively become more sanctified? We do so, first of all, in the area of categorical holiness. Peter talked about holiness in his first epistle, and he referenced it in a way that we're to be holy, set apart, we're a peculiar people, remember that, toward the end, chapter 5 specifically of 1 Peter, we're to be holy, we're to be set apart from the world. Just a quick summary of that in the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 1, verses 14 to 21, he presents holiness as getting about your own sanctification. In chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2 and verse 3, expressing a sincere love for brothers and sisters in Christ. That's active holiness. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 13, verse 18, and then verse 1 of chapter 3, being subject to every human institution. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and verse 19, being willing to suffer and to embrace suffer, uh, be willing to embrace suffering for the gospel. And then lastly, at the very end of 1 Peter in chapter 4, loving service uh, to the family of God. These are ways to manifest holiness. Now, here's my thought or my question to you tonight. When you hear the word holiness, what do you think of? I often view that as almost like more of like a positional thing or a passive thing. Holiness is to be active. Holiness is to be something that we are giving ourselves to. We're living it out. It's not boring. It's not passive. It's dynamic. And it's impactful. And here's the question. If we were to measure your holiness in a practical way, are there evidences of it in your conversation, in your manner of life? Are we growing in that? Are we becoming more holy uh, in our activity before the Lord? All right, then notice the end of verse 11. He says not only to be holy in our conversation, but also to to be godly or to have godliness. So holiness, number two there, godliness. What does it mean to be godly? If I were to say, define the word godly. What does it mean, that descriptive word, that adjective, to be godly? I don't know how you would define it. I would say it's just being like God, being like our creator. We talked about him this morning, that Jesus is our creator, but being like God. Is that not something that's overwhelming? To be loving, to be gracious, and the list goes on and on. Um, to be like God is a, an ongoing project, and so it is something we must give ourselves to while we wait. We represent God in this world. <laughs> Therefore, we wait by being pure, by being righteous, by being just. The list goes on and on as we represent Him to the lost world around us. Um, we have a newer family coming to our church, the Zeckers, and their boy, I just we've talked about it a couple of times, he had me speak at uh, People to People devotional for their Christmas banquet, and Joe and I were talking, their son is a major in the United States Air Force, and he's stationed in London. And so this morning he gave me, uh, I recognized when he gave it to me, a cell phone number in London, and it's kind of a weird sequence, because my brother's a missionary there, basically he said, hey, you know, my boy's interested in, in hearing from your brother, and so I'll have Travis maybe this week reach out to him. Uh, he's serving there in London. But he is representing, his boy is representing the interests of the United States, right, in that country, in his, in his way as he fulfills his duties. I remember a few months ago reading a statement by Charles Spurgeon who preached in the same city of London. He said this quote to his people in that day, as you walk through the streets of London, Remember that you've got the reputation of God in your hands. 
the reputation of God. Brethren, we are waiting upon the coming of Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord and all that is to transpire. And we are not meant to just be passive, you know, waiters or spectators. We are to enter into our obligations. We are to represent God. We have the reputation of God in our hands. We must pursue. We must progress in this area of godliness. Now, <laughs> what's interesting that you don't necessarily see when you just read through verse 11 casually, but the word conversation and the word godliness are plural. So the idea would be this, that Peter is saying this, um, seeing, knowing that the things that are will be dissolved, what manner of person you ought to be in all holy conversations and godliness is. The idea is it's an ongoing, perpetual thing. I haven't arrived, you haven't arrived in these areas tonight. It's something we have to work at. And yeah, maybe we had some godliness yesterday, but what about today? And then what about tomorrow? It's, it's godlinesses, it's conversations. Uh, we must continue, we must continue uh, to grow in these areas. And so we have much to do as we wait for Christ to return. Our waiting life should be filled with splendor and with activity. So here it is, get about your holinesses. Get about your godlinesses. Uh, do what God has called you to do. And as Luke 19, verse 13, Christ says, occupy till I come. That word occupy means to carry on business. Let's get busy. Let's get busy until God comes for us. That is why we continue to wait. So active sanctification. All right, now go to verse 14. Quickly, wherefore, <laughs> beloved, seeing that you look for such things... Be diligent, there's the word, <laughs> that you may be found in him, found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. All right, number two, jot this down, persistent sanctification. So it's active. Number two, it is persistent. Um, I don't know if you've ever had, I don't know if you get, if you have on your um, phone or your laptop or something, text where people will send you something that's like video content where it just keeps looping. The other day I got a, um, something from Jimmy John's. Some of you, I might lose you if you like Jimmy John's, I guess. But it was an ad for I, lucky me, in the new year, I'd want a free pickle if I went to Jimmy John's. And it had like this graphic of this pickle just like rotating. And it, I have in my laptop, I have a dual screen setup. That thing, dumb thing just kept looping over and over. Just come get me. I'm a free pickle at Jimmy John's, you know. And Sure, I had to buy, you know, a sub and something else to get the free pickle. But it was just, it was persistent. Have you noticed that everything in our world is trying to peck away at our attention and get us to focus on it? Our sanctification takes diligence. And the phrase that Peter uses to convey this sanctification, he says, without spot or without blemish. Do you remember earlier he talked about spots? Who were they? False teachers in chapter 2. And he's saying, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be found in that category. And by default, we will unless we practice this diligence in our sanctification. Paul calls upon the language of the Old Testament. The idea, just the other day, we were watching, I think it was uh, something related to the chosen app, and it was portraying the Christmas story, as they examine the lambs looking for spots and blemishes. Are we examining ourselves? carefully and diligently, instead of making excuses, we're saying, God, search me and try me and reveal if there be any wicked way in me. Is that the prayer of our heart as we wait for that which God has promised? That's our, our, those are our marching orders, to be found without spot and without blemish. Um, 
I don't know if you have this or not. When we've been in the country, we have filters. If you had a well and you're trying to get out the sediment out of your well or something else that you're processing water before you drink it. In the same way, we as Christians, as we wait for Christ, should be purifying out of us the taints of sin, the touches of that which defiles, giving our lives with diligent obedience to God's word as it exposes and reveals and sanctifies out of us what keeps us from meeting Christ with purity. The question tonight would be this, when you focus upon your need for progress on the sanctification front, it changes your view of waiting upon God to fulfill his unfulfilled promises. Instead of doubting or chafing under the weight, it is a further opportunity to prepare fully for his arrival. Or, if he, if he calls us home, our arrival to him. It's a gift as we wait. May I ask you this question? I don't know if this resonates you, with you, but a pastor friend of mine asked this question. I think it's a good question. Here it is. Think about this. Simple but profound. When you get to where you're headed, when you get to where you're headed, where will you be? Isn't that a good question? Because what you're doing right now is going to age in a certain way, your attitude, your heart, your position. When you get to where you're headed, where are you going to be? Where am I going to be? I want to be found in a place of poise and preparation and purity when Jesus shows up. And that means I got a full week ahead of me, whatever challenges I'm facing and whatever you're facing, and it sanctifies my focus. It gets my eyes and my heart on the right priorities. When you get to where you're headed, where will you be? Where will I be? All right, let's spend the balance of our time in these last couple of verses. Go down, if you would, to verse 17. (laughs) We'll come back to verse 15 in just a moment. But we find the final beloved. He says, ye therefore beloved... Seeing that you know these things before, beware, notice that, beware lest you also be led away with the error of the wicked. All right, number two, let's spend a few minutes talking about diligent vigilance. So diligence in our vision, number two, diligence in our vigilance. (coughs) If you've been out in public, now it's getting a little colder, and people who live in denial, you know, that it's cold out. Um, The other day someone said a shout out to the guy that my legs don't get cold, who wears shorts round, you know, year round, and my feet are fine, you know, just wears flip-flops all through the winter. I don't know if you have anybody like that. I have a cousin of mine. He's like, he's my age, and he just, it's shorts and sandals all year. It doesn't matter what the, it, it's like snowing. He's shoveling his driveway or sidewalk in sandals and shorts. It's just, we're good. It, it's fine. Um, can I say to you, as it relates to the spiritual climate of our day, No matter how cool or distant the spiritual climate of our day, we must stay fervent. We must be thriving spiritually if we want to be stable. I can't go with, I can't test the winds of what's going on in our world and determine what spiritual climate I will possess. To be stable means I have to be fervent. No matter how cold the world grows, I have to be thriving spiritually. And I know, again, I'm preaching to the choirs. I say that tonight, as we would say, but we have to be committed to diligence in this area of vigilance. All right, let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this. Number one, look with Scripture at a prolonged present. The key word there would be pre- uh, prolonged. Look with Scripture at a prolonged present. Go back to verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you all, 
and also in, his, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. Look with Scripture at prolonged present. Um, one commentator I thought was a good commentary or uh, description of this section, from verse 15 on, it had this heading, what to do while waiting. So what we're about to talk about is what are we to be doing while we're waiting on God? How are we to uh, commit ourselves mentally, emotionally, uh, what are we to be focused on? What are we to be doing? What are we to do while waiting? And obviously the answer is that we are to look to God's Word. So look <laughs> with Scripture at a prolonged present. Do you feel like we're kind of in a holding pattern? I do at times where it's almost like nothing's changing and that can be very discouraging and distracting. And the way to process that with st firmness and stability, spiritually speaking, is we must look to the Word of God. All right, let's talk about a couple things in Scripture that can help us when we're in a holding pattern. Number one, Scripture is complementary. It's, it's complementary. It, it fits together. It complements itself. And we see that here you have Peter on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit quoting Paul, referencing Paul, and he talks about this wisdom that's been given unto him. Well, what's he referring to? The Spirit giving to him the epistles that he had written. He calls him brother. And he references to his letters, he refers to them as Scripture. They are epistles. They are from God. The Scripture talking about itself. Peter here is explaining the seeming delay in God's program. And to, to bolster his, his conclusion, he quotes from Paul. He references Paul. He, he as he's writing Scripture, uses Scripture uh, to provide the foundation of the application. Why has Jesus not returned to establish his kingdom yet? It's because he's building his church. By the way, something that had not been mentioned in the Old Testament. So as he's talking about this, he's saying, listen, there's more going on than meets the eye, and may we be careful not to draw conclusions without all of Scripture speaking to this issue. Um, if, you step, <laughs> if you step back, we talked about this morning the idea that Sometimes because of the panorama of Scripture, we lose the personal touch with Christ. But if you do step back and look at all of Scripture, has not God regularly used long periods of waiting to bring about His plan? I mean, I would, I would reference, first of all, the gap, the 400 silent years between the Old and the New Testament. And then you hit Matthew chapter 1, and bam, here's the Messiah. Th those years were on purpose. And so when you look at Scripture as a whole, the little period that we find ourselves waiting in right now, it provides some context to it. It provides some confidence as we wait on a God who is working behind the scenes. When He's silent, He's still moving. When, when things aren't moving, He's still working, and, and we have to trust that. And the only way we can trust that is by looking at Scripture. Um, and we could go through all kinds of examples Moses, it took him 80 years to then only lead the nation of Israel for 40 years. I mean, we could go through a litany of examples. Joseph waiting year after year in prison, and, and just the, the examples are everywhere of God using pauses and periods of waiting to be a means to working out his will. It's as if Peter here is arguing, what I've told you about God's patience is the means of your salvation uh, as Paul has referenced, this delay in Christ's return is what's bringing about all of those who are saved, Jew and Gentile. God is moving on multiple fronts. He is working. Trust Him, even when it feels like a pause. 
So nothing stabilizes our soul like realizing that even the long pauses from our perspective are a crucial part of God fulfilling His work. You do know that tonight, today, and tomorrow, and whatever we have to wait on with God, that He's, he's in today. This is His day. He made today. All of those that are out today and all the challenges that we face, every nuance of this day is a part of Him <laughs> fulfilling His work. All right, go down to verse 17 key verse tonight. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, all right, you've got, you have no excuse. These things have been revealed to you. Beware, lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So scripture is complementary. Number two, jot this down. It is preparatory. It is preparing. Notice he says there, you know these things before you've been warned. They are <laughs> preparing us for the wait. They're preparing us to wait in the right way. And so what Peter does here very quickly in verse 17 is he says, if you'll wait with the word, it will protect you from two ditches, two things that you will slip into emotionally, spiritually, mentally, that if you'll stick with the word, even when you're waiting on God, it will prepare you and help you to be prepared for when he does return. And those two things, first, if you will, notice he says, lest you also be led away, <laughs> excuse me, with the error of the wicked. Number one, jot this down. It helps us not to be misled by the lawless. So scripture prepares us and helps us to not be misled by the lawless or the wicked. And so the first carried away, if you will, would be the error of those who reject God's law. I don't want to ever be found among the lawless or the wicked, do you? But we're living in a day where it's almost like all restraint is gone. Just everybody do your own thing because, man, it's, it's, the world's just in chaos. And so you do your thing and I'll do my thing. And I see even believers that are beginning to gravitate toward that, being misled by the lawless. Anything goes. Throughout this letter, Peter has been warning us to not be led, to be following after the path of another that mislead us. In chapter 2 and verse 2, it was sensuality. In chapter 2 and verse 15, it was uh, forsaking the right way and following the way of Balaam. In verse 21 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter, he says this, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And we don't want to be that person. And it's almost as if Peter puts this last warning sign on the path that we're on and says, hold on, you've got to hold here. You've got to be careful here or you will go in a wrong direction. So by sticking with the word, we are not misled by the lawless. All right, notice the end of verse 17. He says that you also don't fall from your own steadfastness. And again, we have this reiterating theme all throughout the book. Number two, that we will not fall from a place of stability. So scripture helps us to stay prepared for the return of Christ and that it helps us not to fall from a place of stability. And so we see, if, again, this word, steadfastness. Peter comes full circle here as we see him reiterating the priority of these believers and us, as we read it tonight, being steadfast when Christ comes. Um, I think it's easy for the passive to be swept off their feet by the error of the wicked and to lose their spiritual balance. It's when we become passive, that's when we are vulnerable. And I just call you to that in the new year. Don't be passive. Um, I read the other day, someone said, human beings 
are only fulfilled when they're creating. And then it made this application, which I thought was good. Either you're going to create, it was in a secular sense, create art, um, create something new, or you'll create strife with others. But we will create something. So I want to challenge you with that. What's something new? How can you be positive as you wait? How can you lean into the new year by doing and being and, and accomplishing something for the Lord? And, and so this stability comes not by passivity, but by productivity. Um, John Getch, an evangelist, said this, the difficult things take a long time. The impossible things, they take just a little longer. We just have to be patient. God's doing some great things, and as we wait, may we wait with a proactive spirit um, as we pray, as we open our Bible, as we worship, as we serve. Uh, may we believe that the impossible is being done. And by the way, the impossible is probably going to take a little longer than you would prefer. <laughs> the impossible things that God's going to do are going to take a little longer than I would prefer. But that also doesn't mean it's not a matter of if, then it's going to happen. It's just how great it's going to be. It's taking this long for him to prepare a place for us and to, to position and to prepare us for the place. It's a glorious future. Stable believers realize that and they live in light of that. They don't question what God has promised. All right, let's end in verse 18, a great verse. But grow, <laughs> excuse me, in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Lastly, jot this down. Look with growth at a connected present. I love this part of our text tonight. Look with growth at a connected present. Um, snow now is a little bit on the ground and all that goes with that. I don't know if you have a pet or not, especially dogs. You know, they're supposed to go outside and do their business. And our dog is like the wimpiest dog in the world and hates the weather. And so we're always, you know, go do what you're supposed to do, just trying to lecture it. So they, a friend of mine posted this picture in uh, this caption. A short story about decisions. That was the, the caption of the picture. Just one paw, eh, I guess I'm not going to do that, and steps back in. Um, can I tell you that as it relates to the present tense, that there's some things that we're supposed to be doing that are connected to the future. So I'm not saying that we just busy ourselves with things that kind of just amuse us. We don't have to think and we entertain ourselves. No, what we're doing is connected uh, to the, the future that God has promised. And Peter brings that to bear in the conclusion of our study tonight. We should look with growth. We should be growing as we look to how the present is connected to the future. I love the phrase at the end of verse 18 where he says, to him be glory both now and forever. Will not Jesus Christ be glorified forever? Like we just talked about that last Sunday. I mean, the, the little snapshots and revelation of future worship. I mean, he's going to get all the glory. But Peter says, to him be glory now and in the future. And so it is, it is our present activity that, that, that can begin to bring that glory and to convey that glory to our God. And so that's where we should spend the lion's uh, share of our energy and focus the present life we're living is not random or isolated. It is connected to all that God is going to do and he is presently doing. Live like it. All right, two things quickly that I think will help us with that. Number one, grace, growth. He says, first of all, grow in grace. Um, grace has been defined as a practical demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's the manifestation of what God alone, alone can produce in us. This growth in grace is not an increased head knowledge 
or just tireless, mindless activity, it's increasing, <laughs> increasingly becoming like the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to grow in grace? We just talked about this morning, Christ was full of what in truth? Grace and truth. And so to grow in grace is really just to become like Jesus. I was struck by this as I was thinking on that idea. Think about this. I don't know if this wows you or moves you as it does me. But the purpose of grace is not just for Jesus to appear instantaneously in the clouds. The grace that God gives us, its purpose is also to appear progressively in you. So like we talk about the grace of God, man, it's going to bring Jesus and he, all that he has. The grace of God is also meant to bring Jesus progressively in us as we become less like the world and more like him. Isn't that amazing? So as we wait, he's showing up. More and more every day as we talk more like him and think like him and, and react like him and lead like him and serve like him, and the list goes on and on. And so we're to grow in grace. <laughs> um, someone admonished me the other day. They said probably the thing we spiritual leaders more, need more than anything else in the new year is just patience, being patient. In Galatians 4 and verse 19, Paul says this, "'My little children of whom I travail in birth again.'" until Christ be formed in you. That was his agenda. That was his mission. Is that ours as well? That Christ would be formed in us and Christ would be formed in those that we influence. All right, lastly, <laughs> notice the middle of verse 18. He says, growing grace, notice, and in the knowledge, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two, knowledge growth. So we grow in the present in grace. Number two, we grow in knowledge. And this word knowledge means really acquaintance or intimacy with the Lord through his word. Um, I don't know how you view knowledge. I touched on it briefly this morning, but this book is not meant to just inflate our minds or inflate our pride. It's to help us know him. And so we encounter God and we interact with God and we get to know God uh, through his word as we get to know who he is and what he loves and what he prioritizes. And so this growth in knowledge is, is not just study, it's subjection to the one we are studying. Um, could it be the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ is yet to show up is because we are not fully submitted to him? I think one of our main callings is not what we know about the word, but where are we not submitted to what's in the word? And he's waiting. And we are to be responsible by stewarding his word in submitting to it. Um, I think one of our struggles is we know the future, and therefore, why is it God doing it now? Like, well, God, you told us, so, I mean, why aren't you coming through on that? Could I remind you that just because we know, <laughs> know about it doesn't mean God should do it now? Um, we've all heard the expression probably by now, to know and not do is to not know, right? And really, it's not what we know that's the issue. It's what we're not doing and not submitting to. Maybe that's where we should focus the lion's share of our time. Instead of, God, here's what you said and you haven't done. What about God saying to us, here's what I've said that you haven't done? If you follow the drift, you know what I mean? That's where we should focus our energy. And when God's ready to do what he said and deliver on his unfulfilled promises, he'll know the timing, he'll know the setting. And so may we focus on doing and submitting to the knowledge that God has revealed to us. You and I, every moment of this present life is a part of eternity. The mind of God, all of it, the present and the future is fully integrated. And we live our lives in light of that in the present tense. All right, let's end tonight uh, by looking again at this text at verse 17. I just bring you back to this verse. I'll give you a word of conclusion. We'll be done. 
He says there, notice, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. And I want to leave you with this thought, our steadfastness is a choice. I think sometimes we feel like we're unsteady and that's just something that happens. I've told you this before about, I don't know, I'm insecure, I'm angry, whatever the emotion is. It's almost like I'm just a passive reactant to this stimulus or this situation. It's a choice. You tonight are as steadfast as you choose to be. I'm as (laughs) steadfast as I choose to be. And so the choice is yours, the choice is mine. And you want to know why we have the choice? Because we have this. This tells us tonight we're as stable as we want to be. We're as consistent and grounded and moored as we want to be. It is ours, but we must, we must assimilate it through these principles. I was watching an interview the other day, first interview, I think, of Tiger Woods. He was in a really bad car crash a year or so, not quite a year ago. My oldest son, Ian, golfs for Worcester City. And, um, <laughs> so we were <laughs> tracking that the last year or so. He just golfed with his boy a few weeks ago. But he's still, from the car crash, very uh, dinged up. He was talking about his therapy and recovery. And he was, the interview, the first interview I saw of him in public, he said, I didn't realize how big a house I had built until I tried to move around it in crutches. And he was just talking about his massive mansion. I don't know exactly where it's at, but he just said, I didn't realize how big it was until I tried to hobble around from the refrigerator to the stove. And he was kind of just tongue-in-cheek joking about that. I didn't realize how big a house I had built. Can I say to you tonight, the challenging context in which we are to confidently hold to God's promises, the place we're at tonight with all the world's issues, is not meant to diminish, but to expand our appreciation for what is coming. Um, I think the thing we'll most regret if we do struggle in this area is someday when we see it and we, we realize that the waiting period was meant to enhance it and expand our appreciation of it. And we actually let it do the opposite. We doubted it. We wondered about it. We worried about it. We kind of bailed on it in some way. The present context is meant to expand, not diminish, our view of them. Here's the question, we'll pray. Will you allow God to ground you with poise that only can be yours through diligent vision and diligent vigilance found in God's word? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word tonight.